Hi there, and thanks for listening to Shim Satira's very first podcast series, Sounds Like Folk. My name is Joanne Barry, and I am the repertory director with the National Folk Theatre at Shim Satira. My involvement with Shimsa began as a nine-year-old child and I have been working with the company as a performer, teacher and all-round folky for the last 15 years. Despite the current restrictions, the creative impulse to swap our stories and engage with our audiences remains. I hope you enjoy this new way of Bohan or gathering together, allowing a window into Shimsa Tira, which itself was born from a coming together of like-minded people, a place where ideas and stories are celebrated. Today's guest is Marianne Kennedy, a lecturer in NUI Galway. Marianne was Shim Satira's CEO for six years and is also a theatre maker with 20 years professional experience as a producer and director in the performing Irish language and traditional arts. I hope you enjoy the chat. So hi Marianne. Hello, how are you Joanne? I'm good thanks, lovely to see you. Um, today's podcast, we are speaking with Marianne Kennedy. Marianne Kennedy. Um, Marianne Kennedy is good. That's <laughs> <what it calls> me. <laughs> she is a lecturer in drama theatre and performance at the National University of Ireland, Galway, and is head of production and curation of drama and theatre studies, NUI Galway, based at the O'Donoghue Centre of Drama, Theatre and Performance. That's me. That's quite an introduction. <laughs> That's quite a long title. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so uh, it's lovely to see you. And I suppose um, just for people listening um, who don't know, you were our general manager at Chimsa for yeah. about six years. And I thought it would be interesting to talk to somebody like yourself. Um, I've had a lot of performers and you know people that are on stage, I suppose, a lot of the time um, so far in the series. And I just thought it'd be nice to speak to somebody who has worked for the company. Um, and, I, and general manager is, is probably too, too general a, 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 a title for you when you were there, because you did a lot more than just that. And also because you've, you, you've moved on to, to Galway and, and you've done other stuff. Um, so maybe we could talk about um, how you came to, to work for Shimsa. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I came to work for Sheensa uh, having been the manager of Tyvert Nagalive, which is the National Theatre of the Irish Language, um, and having kind of come through, already sort of realised my interest in the Irish language was really strong and in, I suppose, rural theatre practices or practices that I wasn't seeing on stage in Dublin and I am a dub uh, born and bred and very proud but at the same time just felt that there was more also felt as my you know day one in in UCD that it was much more welcoming to join Ashtoriel Dati than it was with the behemoth that was Dramsock at the time and me as a first year so sort of got involved felt felt the Irish language was a really welcoming space a really well uh, a creative space and also it unlocked a huge amount in me I just felt there was such a secret world of creativity which wasn't secret at all to those who were involved but it suddenly opened out to me and I was astounded and amazed by all that was going on and that interdisciplinarity always mm. um for work in the Irish language where it was dance it was theatre it was performance um and 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 later productions like riot speak to that it, you know the the lots of lots of things that we're, we're seeing on stage now um and the, the kind of explosion of 
musical theater or music through performance and embodied performance and dance theater as uh, Aoife Monks writes about, you know, a lot the work of Michael Keegan Dolan, all of that um, I was really interested in. And when I was in the Thaiverk worked on shows like a translation of A Clean and Wicked Diva um, at the Black Pig's Dyke. And that had um, really beautiful dance performances and movement sequences. And I felt that you kind of couldn't look at rural Irish life without it. <laughs> you couldn't look at the reality of life um, that is a kind of a country life without hearing the sounds. What they were doing was they're changing my the title of my job in the Thaiverk from administrator, which is a kind of a traditional term for general manager, to the sort of given term of general manager. And so I thought I better get some experience um, in in a job that was some something that I get experience of an interview. Mm -hmm. um, and so I applied for the job in Shinsa and knew that the company was really had done really beautiful work and had a huge long-standing reputation. And that was very similar to Thaivyark Nagalive. Um, and so as I researched for that job, realized the extent of what it was and nearly didn't go for the job interview, but went and, the, you know, realized that this was the universe was bringing me in a different direction, which uh, I am very happy that I jumped at it was amazing and has kind of provided for a massive grounding in what I kind of am and do today and really reinforced and built on everything I believe in so um you know really proud to have been able to be part of it even for that history for even a few years I feel that sort of what I brought with me from Galway certainly was good at that time arriving in yeah. with a with a company who kind of that passion for the language and yeah. the, that I was bringing in with me uh, certainly was a good match. Lovely and you talked there about sort of coming in and this responsibility I suppose because Sheems has been around for such a long time and it has an in-house in company it has an in-house production team we perform our, on our own in our own space for five six months of the year it's sort of not like any other company in, in the country. And I think like the legacy of, of Shimsa as well, there's so many factors that must have made the, the, the job and the role seem daunting, but also exciting and challenging. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, if I had known, I suppose, before I went in the door, what was actually ahead of me, would I have been brave enough? I, I don't know. But I think that's a lot of your seminal and formative experiences. Would you do them? Having said that, it is something that I value and cherish. It's a really, really important part of who I am um, and that time that I had with Jim and both professionally and personally. So it, it was kind of I was very young going in. Um, I was 26 years old, starting as a director of this big company um and when you when I when I think of that I go oh, but as my father said at the time when I got the job I thought oh god I, this wasn't supposed to happen I wasn't you know I wasn't supposed to actually get the job I was supposed to get good experience um and when I got the job he said but sure when else are you going to do this this is yeah. this is your time you're young you have no responsibilities are you going to do this job when you have 
you yeah. know, three children, which I don't have, but <laughs> I have two. <laughs> but, I, you know, what? when are you waiting for that right moment? And he said, look, there's a reason why you're chosen right now. Yeah. Embrace it. Go for it. And I just thought that was a really wise statement. You know, it was, you know, I thought, oh, it's too much responsibility. Um, now, having said that, it was a huge, the learning curve for the first 12 months was was vertical. Yeah. Um, and the. Uh, I suppose the overwhelm at times was, was very real um, and also the legacy of the wonderful Martin Whelan that had gone before me was huge oh. and he had been 26 years in the company and I was 26 years old so he had been with the company for my entire lifetime um, and so when I but I always felt very um, it was a weird thing I always felt that I had some sort of connection and that with him, I think his picture and his, I have a, a whole narrative of who I think Martin is, but he, I, I've often looked at that picture and asked it questions and spoken to it mm. <laughs> and spoken to Martin. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I like, what would you do? Uh, what, you know, and I, I do think, I do think there was a very kind of very warm guiding presence that I wouldn't say is spiritual, but it was, it, it was kind of otherworldly, which, you know, is exactly what Shimsa is all about, really. And yes. um, that connecting with yes. the intangible. And I just thought that was, uh, I always felt minded in that respect. Nice. Yeah. While you were with us, we did an awful lot. So that you were with us from tw 2002, isn't that right? 2002 to 2007. Yeah. Yeah. And when I went in, actually, because I, I was at the time, um, had connections back in Ballyferreter and I would be over and back to Ballyferreter quite a lot and uh, with friends and uh, I had studied up in Galway with people from West Kerry and so I'd go back there um, you know at weekends or whatever and uh, I I had a conversation about the Aran Islands and about the with Seamus McGarrett, who was then a board member for former Kerry footballer. And um he we had a conversation about the Blasket Islands. And I said, gosh, the stories from the Aran Islands are wonderful. And he said, gosh, you've no idea about the Blaskets. And I said, you know, tell me more. And so we were sitting there and I said, gosh, this would be brilliant. And he said, yeah, no, I've, I've wanted, this would be a great thing to happen. So Elon was the first, was kind of the, it was the 50th anniversary of the leaving of the Blasket Islands uh, was coming up. And Kerry Group got involved in providing some money. It was very exciting. And first, Nguelga got involved as well. The repertory company is so skilled and so uh you know the research was was amazing um in what was done and the sort of the the stories uncovered the yeah. real peg you know that was uncovered and the you know the trips to the Blasket Islands where you know a beautiful image of yourself and Susie Griffin and an honor um, that's right yeah and, yeah appearing on the front page of the Irish Times that's right that's you know right. um and, and just really and, and working with Leonora McDonough she got involved and also um Dara McGee built the set for Ilan and he himself and Frank Gleason um were had built sets for me in Antiverk. Mm. So like there was a real Galway, you know, that sort of rural connection as well, which was lovely. Yeah. And that the fact that the show was based in Irish, it was just, 
it was really I thought it was really powerful I mean the images of and I still love that the the images of you know the young girl going away and the hearts being closed and that final moment of that you know those stories are so important and kind of keeping the heart keeping her lit yeah. you know keeping it lit yeah. uh, is really important but doing it in a way that it was intergenerational um you know seeing Oh, yes, Sean Ahern on stage. Um, you know, there was young children who weren't even communion age, and then Sean and having that. I mean, that's something that will we ever have again with COVID. You know, it's yeah. and it's and it's something that preoccupies me because the wealth mm. in terms of folk and in terms of story doesn't lie with the youth. It lies with the elders of our community, and we are protecting ourselves and protecting them um you know it, there's there's a lot of protecting going on but in terms of culture mm. what are we losing um oh. in all of that so yeah. um you know gary and giria is a group and we'll talk probably about that a bit later but um we've been talking about this kind of what happens when when that severus tanger severus culture mm. what happens when that disappears mm. um or you don't have access to it yeah you know yeah. so it's really important like I think what Shimsa is doing is more important now than ever to find new ways yeah you know there's really really massive massive work to be done yeah yeah um, not just in preservation but just in keeping it alive in yeah. in in that embodiment of it yeah and I talked to a few different people on on a few different uh, chats with you know its value and how people I think now maybe that there's a there's a bit of a shift in appreciation for what's here as opposed to always looking outward or looking to the other or looking to the new yeah it's something that a few people have said on here that maybe you know what we need now is what's here on our within our 5k even within our yeah. five kilometers you know and you talked about teams have been important and I know that we met sort of last August um, when we could and uh, mm. talk about, um, you know, what's next and where we go yeah. and adapt to COVID. But I think also within those conversations and actually Ruth Smith was a, a sort of came in and, and really helped us to kind of think about things and think about the why. And I think that going forward, the weight of responsibility as to who we pass on to and what we pass on. And how important. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, I'm reading uh, Dierney Griefa's book, A Ghost in the Throat, which couldn't be more suitable for this conversation. And it's... I must read that, actually. I have Oh, you'll, yeah, it's amazing. And, and, and in fact, actually, as a, as a starting point for a, as, a, as a woman who, who is looking to this woman, Eileen Dove Ihunnel, who, who, writes, who writes so passionately about a lover who has died and who drinks his blood and, you know, like really kind of couldn't be more earthy, but um, thinking about sort of the, the role of that, the, the, the woman as well um, now in kind of climate change and, you know, in the, in the sort of the woman as, as, holder of mm. of kind of la landscape that is ma both maternal and fierce that's sort of the kailach and the and I was looking up again we're we're with Gary and Giria we're looking at a lot of this kind of stuff but um with uh you know the different archetypes 
that exist in Irish lore. So you have the band Quinta, you have, you know, who the, you have the band Cowroch, who brings people into the world, um, I the midwife, and you've got the band Quinta, who brings people out of the world, and you have um, the band Fasa in the middle, who gives you her wisdom, and then you have the Cailloch, who sort of has a connection to the other world. You know, you have all these amazing archetypes already, you know, and, and we're more and more looking to opera, um, you know, we see more and more kind of large scale opera productions coming on board mm. that deal with those archetypes. But we need to sort of own our own story, you know, as an as a as a community. And I won't say nation because the nation is is sort of political mm. and uh, and financial <laughs> construct. But as a as a community of people and what speaks to us and what's actually important yeah. and what's actually been important in, in COVID is getting out in nature. The hardest thing about the 5K is you can't drive to those places and that you can't gather and, and meet with people. Yeah. So they are the things that are important, really. Um, the idea of community, as you say, has been one of those kind of real severs, um, community of artists, community, theatre community, even, you know, community within a workplace. If you could boil it all down to that one one word, you know, and I think... It's true. For yourself as well, I think anyone that has worked there is always part of that community. I yes, like, and you feel you have a place. It's amazing yeah. because you also, you, you know, you you kind of are sad when you hear things happening and you're like, oh, I'm missing that or whatever. But at the same time, you always feel part of it. It's not a case that you're ever separate from it. Um, and 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 also, you you know, six years of of life. For, which are really formative years yes in my they were formative years in my case yeah. um sort of the owning of who you are and the kind of what you want and where you where you you see yourself in the world like to be in Sheems at that particular time I mean we did Elon and there were th I think we did Tarman Elon and um I think there was another show. Oh, there was the Michael Harding show. I was there for the negotiation oh, of contract. Moriarty, yeah. <laughs> for the negotiation of the commission contract, but not for the actual realisation. I got to see the show, but I wasn't there for it. Yeah. Um, but And then also we went to Venezuela and the Faroe Islands and a group went to New York um, and with Andrew Duggan and then we did the Or Evolution Reloaded or an Or Evolution. Yeah. Um, so that was, there was Cindy Cummings and Andrew Duggan and it was really, really exciting time um, and up to the fringe in Dublin and yeah. kind of that, that relationship with doing fringe work, yeah. which was, which is really important when there's such a legacy kind of to be upheld within that, that sort of notion that we can actually explore other things Absolutely. um you know became really important to all of us I think at that time um and and sort of how can we be creative within a structure that requires a repertory season yes, yes. you know like how can you be, that was a huge constant conversation and I'm sure still <laughs> you know um but like to find those ways for people to do further study so mass people began doing masters programs um and in ul and dance and contemporary dance and sort of that bringing of that contemporary style owning who we are as part of a contemporary world um 
as opposed to just the keepers of. Yes. And that's not to say that there's anything wrong with keeping the flame, keeping her lit, but but also that that she says much more than that. Yeah. And there's really, you know, and people are living and going through a lot and still coming into shows mm-hmm. and still coming in to do their work and still, you know, I mean, it's an incredible, incredible system. And also the system sort of is the past. It's it's a kind of an oral tradition system honors the fact that it's an oral tradition system, I would say, um, as opposed to kind of saying, oh, well, we must, you know, we must get a system now that, you know, we can quantify and whatever. Yes, it's quantified through performance. It's practice as, you know, it's practice as research in the best possible sense of the word. It's it's also um, performance, uh, you know, embodying performance, embodying archive, embodying story. And then it's also teaching us the way, you know, any of those great, great epic tales teach us. It's reflecting today back to us. So in an audience, I mean, I'll never forget we were over in the Faroe Islands and there were there Faroe Islands is one of 50 islands in the archipelago and we've been invited by the mayor um, or the the kind of highest representative uh, of local government there to a reception and we went after the show and there was at least three there was war because they at the time were talking about um you know taking the last few inhabitants off one of the islands and mm. um, there were still people there and so they were talking about, you know, it wasn't economically viable anymore and they needed to bring them closer to kind of, I suppose, supports and whatever. And there was there was huge kind of public outcry and there were people saying, well, it makes perfect sense. They're very isolated. And, other, and I, I, there were people crying at that reception saying this is our this is what's in our new. This is what we're debating in our chambers of local government at the moment. And I remember thinking. Imagine that we can come from West Kerry, drive a furniture van from West Kerry (laughs) all the way over land and sea uh, to get to um, the Faroe Islands. And which it was the smallest smallest van I'd ever seen and the biggest set (laughs) we had in Shimsa fitted into this small van like it was amazing work it was amazing production management on uh jimmy's behalf uh yeah no it was brilliant and yeah (laughs) but like to think of that that you know so you're touching people and and that happened again and again night after night during the summer season people came from all over the world and they just they really responded people were very emotional it just kind of hit and they didn't understand the words it wasn't because because the words were in Irish which was something that I loved um and it shows because what it always showed to me was what I had been hearing in the Thaiviark was like oh yes you know people just don't want like there's no audience for shows through the Irish language in and through the Irish language Mm -hmm. and I was like well first of all there's a living community so that's not actually true and um and then actually people of other languages don't have the problem with the Irish language that we do and in fact when people from other countries that was never a barrier to an international global audience coming to watch shows in Shimsa so it kind of shows every time I hear the argument of well you know Irish like we try we try to kind of develop it but it's very difficult there's no there's there's just really no no audience for it and yet there is you know and yet there you know 
it, it depends on how you use the Irish language as well. I mean, in Sheems's case, it's as much about the sound and the stagecraft of Irish and the, music, yeah. and the haunt, you know, what it invokes in your soul. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's really important. I mean, I think that, but to prove that that's, that is possible and, you know, that's a kind of an act of resilience as well. It is, absolutely. I love what you say about the Irish language. And I suppose one of the things, you know, similar to your role now in Galway, and like ourselves in Tralee, you know, we, we're working in the Irish language. We're based in provincial venues. In your case, it's attached to a university, but in our case, we're working in provincial theatre. And I think, you know, we'll always have, I, I won't call it, I won't be negative about it, but there'll always be those challenges because of, of the of the where we are in the country. Yeah that it's not, as you said at the start, not all happening in Dublin. Is it sort of, is that changing now? I mean, you're, work, you're very much working steeped in the Irish language in a university environment. Do you think it has changed? Yeah, I mean, I work in a bilingual university. I work in English primarily in the sense that I'm in the drama and theatre studies department. And then in third year, I approached Patrick Lonergan, the professor and the head of discipline in drama and theatre studies. I approached him to and he also encouraged it in fact in fact I think he actively wanted it was um an Irish language theatre module so in their third year um they students get to do an Irish language theatre module it's an elective module they don't have to do it but um we've run it every year we've had um we've performed on the stage in, in Antivirk we've gone over to RSA in an Inish year um and performed our you know our 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 end of semester performances out there um but also I think what's really important is that you're um you're challenging the canon I see it as challenging the canon you're challenging um because you cannot be what you can't see mm-hmm. so if and I'm married to a man from the Gwethos now so subsequent to leaving Chinsa met a man from Connemara from Cairo and have two beautiful boys um and so our, and we live in the Gwethoth and we speak Irish. Irish is the language of the house. Right. So if my children don't see or come in contact with performances in Irish, then where and why in God's name would they ever, as they get older, see the value? Because everything, you know, we, you have to fight for services in Irish. You have to fight to get the, the to be able to do things in Irish all the time. Yeah. Um, and if you don't kind of see it as an act of resistance and resilience and um, kind of radical creativity, yeah. then you'd lose hope. So I, I suppose I see it more and more as part of a practice. I, I think I have a stronger voice in the Irish language or I'm braver because maybe I don't have the politics because I'm not from I didn't wasn't brought up in Irish or didn't go to school in Irish or I just love the language and I think what it, it unlocks the secrets to what we should be doing both in terms of climate change both in you know and and in terms of the arts I think the Irish language contains those secrets it is the holy grail mm-hmm. um and 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 even when we think of uh Marisha Rohan when I was where I was working with the diploma in the staging and arranging of traditional Irish music was one of the courses I was in charge of post Chimsa and um Marisha Rohan launched the course and I'll never forget him staying at the launch um so he's obviously famous for the Willie Clancy Festival and would have known Martin Whelan very well and of that generation 
yeah. and he he spoke so beautifully about um how how important it was for a musician to really understand the cadences of the language because it was through the language that the songs and the, the tunes were created in the first place. Um, and then I've just, you know, I, I just think that is so important where you, you see the language influencing the music and therefore into influencing the dance. So to have to be true to all that is folk the language can't disappear from it or it's suddenly this disjointed um borrowed language coming in to explain what's already included in the tune you know it actually creatively and dramaturgically makes sense that Chimsa is uses the Irish language um that if it didn't use the Irish language uh it would lose a bit of that connection now whether it they lose use that use it to create Yes. or process yes. or performance it's not you know but just that it's part of it somewhere yeah, it's like a, it's a source it's such it's a source exactly exactly same way as the history of the tunes and the players are a source yes. same way as the voices are a source you know um uh, i was i was quoting a poet and um, kieran e. i'm sure you've heard of yeah that. yeah um but i i watched a short uh, film online um i think it was made by other voices and she spoke about how she believed she said that all of this Oscarga, that um the syntax of everyone everyone's soul in ireland is irish as in the irish language whether or not you can speak it whether or not you can really understand it and i really that yeah. really was a was a i thought it was such an important point that she made you know because you you don't understand why you love the sound of it or the beauty of it or the or the or the rhythm of it but you know that somewhere inside yourself it's part of who you are yeah and it also is also the reason why people respond so negatively because it's it's the same way as people went to America and changed their names and never spoke about their life in Ireland you know they became American when they emigrated it's it's the same thing it's it's like okay I've left that part of me behind and don't try and open Pandora's box so there's two you know it's like people have a shame about speaking or not speaking the language, which um, interestingly now is um, in Galway, for example, 25% of the primary school children in Galway are being taught through the language. Mm. So um, there's all sorts of nationalities coming and cultures blending and mixing together. So that's going to be really interesting when, you know, and, and that's already happening. I mean, the Fela Skull Dramirta every year, there's more and more diversity on stage with gorgeous Irish and 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 you know, it'll be great to see what what those stories um bring and, yeah. and that context comes and and how and as you say, you don't have to be from Ireland to to feel and that goes for I mean the Irish language is one thing the music is another the culture the stories you know it doesn't one because every story we have in Ireland there's a matching story in Persia there's a matching story in 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 Spain there's a match you know the the folk of those stories remains true because it's universal it's not that we have the best stories or what we do is better it just plugs into a universal truth that we can all understand because we're all human so it you know it plugs into folk it plugs into human yeah yeah absolutely focus people after all um 
One of the things you mentioned just at the beginning, I'd love to talk a bit more about is um, your project, Gary, pronounce it for me. Gary and Kyria, yeah. So we have, um, so one of my favourite albums of all time is Colin McNummer's Kuhn and Kyria. And uh, he, he says about the title of that album and the music is magical, but he says about the title of that album that his father, the lovely Liam Okunumura, um, he, he attributes it to Martin O'Kine. And Martin O'Kine said it was the part of the garden that was left to go wild so that the wild animals had a space that the Cunha and Giria, uh, the Giria didn't want to reveal herself. And the Giria is also obviously a huge um, figure. You know, the Giria is very much associated with a female, a female who's connected to the other world, not necessarily married, who might have the cure or might be able to make your um make your milk dry up um, if she comes in contact, if you if you were to do her wrong, the milk will dry up of your cows if you're a farmer, you know. So that that's sort of the dangerous kind of, uh, she has that sort of, and she's, uh, the Giri is also a shapeshifter. So associated with the moon, associated with all sorts of kind of really, um, and, and that again, that figure of the hair, goes across cultures as well across uh, mythical folktales as well um and and often has this connection now sometimes male and sometimes female which is interesting but um so we I just loved the idea of this portion of the um because what I was seeing was um when I went back to Galway and when obviously with Chimsa, the devised collective performance was so crucial to everything. Um, and the fashion then in English language performance or the, the, the kind of emerging practice and processes were again, process led, devised ensemble work. Yeah. And then the Irish language, bizarrely, you know, it within it was housed in theatres and it was an, a, a writer, writer driven always. And often the productions that or those that got produced were male. So they were writing from a particular point uh, point of view. And I went to, I left my child for the first time uh, to see, to go to Waking the Feminists in 2016. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming back and listening on the way back to Galway, driving um, on the way back to Galway. Um, and it was lashing rain and fear. McAneil, who was the then manager of the Abbey, said, got on Radio Nguelta and said, look, I know there's nothing for Irish speakers either in this programme. I haven't forgotten about you and please come to me. Mm. I remember being so livid um, because and I also in the a few people had come to me in the foyer of the Abbey and had said, look, I know there's nothing in Irish, but like one one fight at a time, one fight at a time. We have like obviously women being underrepresented is kind of yeah. hu- so huge or not represented is so huge. But look, we'll get to the Irish. We know it's a problem. Yeah. And um, and then him and fear also off his own bat. It never came up knowing it was a problem. And so I just remember thinking I was so livid, just going, that's not good enough. Yeah. And I still feel it's not good enough in a national context. Um, You know, that the only organisations that actively produce work in and through our language are 
are underfunded and are doing have remits to do so much so many other things as well this is only a tiny part and and that there is a living Gaeltacht of people who speak this language as a living language that have no they can't go to France and Spain to get this support it only exists yeah. here and so I just thought I was so livid that I just thought right okay we were not we're not going to just take a corner we'll take the garden so a gari or a field will take the garden and we'll uh we, and and this will have no result there's nothing because nothing was I noticed nothing was getting rehearsed in on Thaivirk that wasn't going on stage so okay. it was that like to have something it was kind of similar to our evolution or evolution reloaded with Sheen said that it was process led yes and and it's something, yeah yeah and it was something people really struggled with as well because people kept thinking well we, we need to show what, what you know I know, I know I know and it's really hard it is really hard when you're used to when you're a minority when you're promoting either a minority art form or um serving kind of a minority language or doing anything that's out of the kind of the mainstream what is accepted then all of a sudden you have to you have to be producing yeah. you have to be in order to be visible and so if you're not producing you're not visible but if you're not visible if you're only visible then you're not you're not kind of interrogating I think it's an education I think you're educating people I think people actually just don't realize or have lost that connection to the land yeah. and to what they actually know to be true and are sort of in denial and it's kind of like waking the feminists yeah. it's uh, so waking the feminist me was a really positive moment in the sense that I kind of went yeah it is a it you have to accept that mantle you know you have to kind of say right it is important for interdisciplinary work to be happening it is important for traditional work to be brought into contemporary with while also still having you know a really solid foundation in and knowing where it came from um but there also there is a responsibility to represent though for those audiences mm. I mean there's audiences that need to see that work there are people that are crying out for that connection to to their their traditions or to their heritage or to their culture um you know, we go to the theatre to see stories reflected to ourselves and we sit there and we're the centre of the play. We may be watching, you know, Fish Amble's version of whatever or, you know, a news uh, um, site specific, but every step of we take either in a site specific performance or in a every time we sit into a theatre, we're we're putting ourselves at the centre of that story. And we're, you know, how how do we sit and feel? And we get to kind of think about things we don't, it gives us a pause for thought. Yeah. And that moment of pause and that moment of, of kind of reflection, like where do you get it only in that kind of yeah. those moments, unless you meditate or, you know, and there are other ways, yeah. but you're again invoking in meditations, you're doing chants that are invoking the ancestors. It's the same thing. It's all the same. What's your yoga, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and what what is the next? I'm not going to ask you. Have you made a show? <laughs> but what, what, is, what is the next? Existed. Yeah. No, we have, I mean, what we did was we um, we worked with Phelan Cannon of Broken Talkers um, down in West Kerry for uh, a couple of weeks, and we worked with Jack Oshbral who is the song of the goat over in Poland, who you'd love, mm. all into polyphonic singing and wow. ama like amazing, amazing, amazing work. And um, he, so 
up in Donegal. So we in really remote parts of both. We were back in, um, well, we were, I mean, not remote in Kerry, but uh, we were in Holland Athony. And then we were also up in Guidor in Anonad Pubble in Guidor. And um, there were 20 of us in total. Um, and then we kind of have, once that project finished, so we, we got funded when we we're very grateful to the Arts Council for funding us um, and Ali Nagoyaltata. So we got funded through those different places and Donegal County Council came in and Galway, Galway County and City also got involved in the project and it was an invitation to participation award was the initial one and then we um so what we did was we, we kind of had those which were absolutely resistant to any sort of show and tell yeah. and then we um but I wrote up a, a kind of a document of the process so there was an a, there was something there um and then we started applying for project funding and we were invited then by the Abbey to do an Abbey five by five mm. um which was really interesting because it was the first time that Irish has been acknowledged as a minority, Irish language art, um, arts have been acknowledged as a minority art form. Um, because, you know, when you talk to the Arts Council, you get told things like, well, this, you know, if the applications were good enough, there's no reason why everything couldn't be in Irish. You know, the only thing that's stopping everything being in Irish is, you know, the fact that the ideas are not as good as others. Okay. And so that's actually not true it's just it falls but it's really interesting we've got a quality and diversity uh, policies now that are really front and center Mm -hmm. and we have um obviously good governance and all the rest and we have contemporary theater you know we have the the raison d'etre of every performance art venue because that was obviously a huge part of my role in Shimsa was performing all the other time that the National Folk Theatre was not performing um so getting you know like we set up the NOSC network um at the time when I was in Shimsa and started off the uh I went to Kate Canelli who was who is I believe still the arts uh, officer so went to her and uh, asked asked her would she consider partnering with us on um, a dancer in residence so you know and that's still going on and the wonderful Catherine Young is amazing so there's a few legacy things that have happened but it's you know that kind of the the keeping of the the so these kind of new policies that are for all art centers and venues there's still no the Irish language Mm. you know that it's still they're still not represented they don't fit um and there's still no audience um so it's just really interesting so it's kind of I now see it as actually this is re-education this this is this is I've accepted that it's not a separate thing it's just people don't know where to put it it's not there's nobody trying to keep it out but people don't know where it fits yeah. And so when you're trying to program, I suppose, and you're trying to also tick all the boxes that you have to for funding, yeah. and when funding is always so short, mm. that if there is something that you don't have to do, mm. then, you know, sometimes other things take precedence. Not that that isn't important, yes. but it's like what it's like what was said around waking the band. We know it's important, but there's this other thing that has to be sorted out now. Yes. So I think it's really it's really interesting. So if we if we kind of acknowledge that we're, we're working in minority art forms, we're working in forms that are not represented on traditional stages in that sense as, you know, dance theatre, but they're nonetheless, you know, crucial to 
the fabric of the arts yeah. and so if they if they disappear the arts is the rich is the poorer yeah. you know so for it so we we kind of it's it, it's an act of yeah I mean it's like having an Irish language name you know Marianne Kennedy Marianne Kennedy more on you Kennedy depends on where you are and what you're fighting for yeah. <laughs> yeah. going forward now Marianne you know post-covid you know when we get past all this um yeah. staying at home and and you know staying within our 5k and I suppose reflecting on the work you're doing now and the work you did with Shimsa what would be your what would be your hopes for you know the traditional arts and that type of work going forward I know we talked at the start about it being there is a sort of a shift going on but what would be your 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 aspirations or hopes for that that type of work yeah I mean look I think there's this is a moment that will never exist again in our lifetimes. I mean, the rule book that I suppose was always there, you know, well, we have to do 120, the, you know, the business model um, has to change. And that business model was kind of hard to argue with when it was based on kind of 90 to 95% seat occupancy. I mean, that is unheard of in any country around in any theater around the country you know that hugely um from april to september that and that also provided and generated so much income in order to keep the practices and the oral traditions and all of that alive and and provide for a repertory company that could continue to make work you know um and and keep the training to such a high standard so the whole thing kind of depend so the first thing I thought of when COVID struck I went that what <laughs> how like obviously and I was and I was so glad Sheemsa called it early yeah. and didn't kind of you know because a lot of people held on and held on thinking you know and I think it's wise we all have this moment of reflection um, we have this and, and we have a responsibility to reflect because, as you say, you know, the company is the age it is, but also the institution knowledge of that is so valuable um, that it can't you, you, there's no you can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. That doesn't make any sense either. So, you know, it doesn't there's there has to be a kind of a continuity because the whole of Sheemsa is based on that intergenerational and the value um, placed on people and community. So in order to have the, that value, it has to be sustainable. And, and I mean, look, that's the same for every single theater, every single repertory company around the world. It, but it's a unique moment. So you know, comparable ballet companies or, or repertory companies have this moment now going, okay, what do we do? Um, and where are we? And and it's great you're doing this podcast because it's kind of, it's getting it, it's getting conversation started now. I mean, it's all about the conversation and connection and it is, it is, yeah. How how we all move forward because everyone's in this together. Yeah. Now yeah. suddenly everyone's a minority. Suddenly yeah. the arts are now you know recognizing their minority star- status and 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 sort of there's there's moments of recognition and of as you say, well, what's in our 5K? What do we have? And the local is actually the global. I mean, there's never been any question of that one when we were in the Faroe Islands or when we were, there was never any question that what was local 
in one sense, or that, you know, the story of the leaving of the Blasket Islands in West Kerry was every bit as topical to those people in the Faroe Islands. Yeah. So there's no there's no question of the, the global, we just have to be reminded. That's it, that's it. it. Yeah, definitely what, what the pandemic has done, obviously there's been so much sorrow in the country and all over the world as well, but it has, I think particularly for anybody working in the arts, it's just that sort of right, that stop moment where you have to just reflect. Maybe sometimes there's too much time to reflect, <laughs> but, but it's the time to reflect and see what's going to happen in the future and how we can, how we can um, help to push it all forward, including the Irish language and work in the Irish language and encourage students to study Dramiacht Asgaelga, you know, and, yeah. and uh, make sure that they can, they can carry it on. And, after, and, it's, and the other thing is it's never going to go back mm. to what it was before. No. I mean, we can't, we can't hope for, and we shouldn't hope because creativity is change. Yeah. It is disruption. It is dangerous. It's all of those things. And when Shimsa was set up, first of all, and, you know, it, it was performed on the stage of the Abbey. It was a radical act. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, it was a, it was a radical act. It wasn't it wasn't something that it, it brought people to their feet. It was a phenomenon. And, um, you know, so much so that it was brought over to Seville. And, you know, in the audience were two very important founder members of Riverdance. And, you know, like it, it, the cycle continues, but it's it's that cycle of time. It's not linear. Yeah. It goes around in circles, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we what part what point are we on now? Um, so maybe we're we're at the point of of re radicalization, <laughs> you know. Um, maybe that's where it is, and maybe that and and Father Pat, you know, in his thinking at the very very beginning was imagining something that didn't exist, and that's where we are now, mm. and so we're back. But we are not back at the beginning. We're back with all the institutional knowledge, with all the talent, with all the creativity, and we're throwing out the rule book. And that's a really exciting place to it be. Is. It is. Lovely. You know. On that note, Marianne, thank you so much uh, for your time. Thank you. That <laughs> was great. It was great. And I'd love it to see you and we'll chat soon. Brilliant. Thanks for listening to our podcast, which was edited by Tom Hannafin. For further information on Shim Satira and our new and upcoming work, head over to our website www.shimsatira.com. You will also find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, bye bye.